Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR Show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Mola Sambulani, hello, how's it? And welcome to another episode of the IRR Show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty and I'm joined, of course, by Sarah Khan. Sarah, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's, uh, it's confusing times. It is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly confusing times. And I think with the data now coming in thick and fast, uh, the past news week has been absolutely electrifying. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, 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 it's like the, it's, it's, it's like watching, watching, watch, watching, sorry, a train crash in slow motion. The goodwill that the government achieved in the first two weeks of the lockdown and, mm-hmm. and the efficiency has just, is just flooding away. And totally squandered it. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm trying to know me, I was saying the Turkey squandered it. Um in so far as you know, a, a public that now um is beginning to take a rather adversarial we always begin by looking at the news week that was before our first ad break at, at 10 past 9. Um, and then we basically look um, to we'll jump into more detail at some of the big headlines that made uh, the news week until our major segment, which today will have Dr. Anthea Jeffrey uh, from the Institute of Race Relations. Uh, we'll interview her at uh, 9.20. Uh, Sarah, what's that all about? Okay. Basically, what Anthea did was a report on sorry. the. Uh, sorry, can you hear me? Uh, we seem to be absolutely bedeviled for the f- for the first time, really, by uh, technical problems. I think the lockdown is finally leading us to uh, a, a state of collapse, uh, which uh, no, we, should we shouldn't be surprised much, by. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I, uh, we're going to give this a shot again. Um, but I was just saying, in today's Financial Mail, direct mm. quote, the lockdown will lead to 29 times more lives being lost than the harm it seeks to prevent from COVID-19. This is according to a conservative estimate contained in a new model developed by local actuaries. Now, they have sent this letter uh, and this model to President Cyril Ramaphosa, having entitled the lockdown is a humanitarian crisis that will dwarf uh, COVID-19. That is a Big claim, a big finding, sorry. Well, it, it is. And what's interesting is they say there's a consortium calling themselves PANDA, a pandemic <coughs> data analysis, which included an economist, four actuaries, an economist and a doctor. And the economist, I think, was our esteemed colleague who was on the show last week, Russell Lamberti. Um, and these are not people who are prone to uh, uh, scare tactics, let's put it that way. And I think it's, we, it, the inevitable is sort of happening. We're seeing that not just that the cure is going to be worse than the disease, but the cure is going to be hugely worse than the disease. It seems having shame. It seems we're having problems, particularly with uh, with Sickle's um, line. Um, but the, the bottom line is that as this issue becomes worse, uh, so the government. Ah, welcome. Back. Ah, 
Uh, as this problem gets worse, yeah. um, the government's response seems to be less ideological <coughs> and much more dictatorial. Um, we are getting much less information and explanation as to why things are being done, and things just seem to be falling apart. I mean, the the uh, yesterday with, with the elderly queuing up for their social grants, um, queues and tens of thousands of people who did not get payment. I mean, I don't know what these poor elderly people have done to deserve Vatabili Led Lamini followed by Lindiwe um, Zulu. Zulu. It's, it's just incredible. I mean, it, it's very, very worrying. It's, it's like meltdown rather than lockdown. And here's the Here's the, what I sort of took out of yesterday. You know, when, when level four initiated and some of the more asinine, uh, lockdown regulations, uh, bore fruit, right? In terms of, yeah. for example, telling people they can only exercise between, um, six and, uh, oh, and nine. Okay. Um, obviously that would naturally lead to larger groups of people in a confined time space you know, being out and about and exercising. The media, for instance, and the politicians lost their minds. Um, oh, how dare these uh, middle-class individuals. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you that we've, uh, we've felt the, uh, the, the fallout yeah. from that in the sense yeah. that I have family who it's runs and, and cycles. And, uh, you know, it's, it's already going into winter. So six to, things don't get light until seven. So there's a, a safety factor involved in that, not to mention that it's cold, although the, the, the fanatics will tolerate that. Um, but, I mean, we know somebody who was arrested for staying, for exercising too long, and he ended up spending 14 hours in a holding cell in a police station, no food, no water, no ablution facilities. So um, it, it's, it's, it's all around us. Things are failing, and... The president went on in his um, presidential letter that he brings out on Mondays and saying that, you know, he, he was in line. It was a majority decision of the uh, national COVID coordinating, co- whatever it is. Um, and, um, it, 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 and basically he was saying, you know, they went through it and they discussed it in detail and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it was explained to them and, and they made a, a well thought through decision. There's only one problem. is not a single decision that's been made is being explained. The rationale for it is not being explained. So the only, if we don't think there's a rationale, we're not going to trust the government. And if we don't trust the government, we're not going to cooperate. And mm. that that's a big risk. No, I agree. Um, I, you sort of lost me there for a moment. Um, I think I, I went off air for a bit. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean... Just to come back very briefly, if, um, as long as you don't lose me, but in any event, just to come back to a direct quote from these gentlemen from the Panda Group, you know, the pandemic data analysts, um, you know, a direct quote, they said, had the prospect that coronavirus could, could kill, sorry, tens of millions of people being increasingly confirmed, the lockdowns may have been justified. That possibility, according to them, is no, no longer exists. It now seems unlikely that more than a million people will die worldwide from the disease. The humanitarian crisis, however, that's been provoked by the lockdown is a matter of sheer certainty. Like, I, I don't care who you are um, as a zealot for lockdown. That is a definitive statement being made by people who we often consider to be some of the smartest people in society. I mean, we literally hinge a lot of our life decisions around what actuaries um, shape and, mm. and model 
um, as being risk factors, you know, from everything from insurance to you name it. Um, so I, I think this has to be taken incredibly serious by the, 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 the powers that be. Yeah. Well, I saw a little report literally just as we came on board <coughs> where there's a prediction that, um, South Africa, Indonesia and China will see reversions of people back into poverty to an extent that was before unimaginable. And China, I think they looked at a figure of 8 million people. Now, that's really interesting because we've been following China like a like a lovesick puppy. And China itself is, you know, proud. It's, you know, it's this huge success story of dragging millions and millions of people out of poverty. But it shows how tenuous it is in a society and these are all societies where the free flow of information is becoming from erratic to no, almost non-existent. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, again, without repeating the point, I think we, we're at a point now, and I made this point yesterday on a vlog on the Big Daddy Liberty Show online, and I said, you're at a point now where the data is becoming, it lauded the, the Swedish example of basically a collaborative, um, collaborative approach to dealing with pandemics as opposed to locking societies down, especially the idea of locking healthy people mm. when those very people should be out and about and building the sort of herd immunity that they speak to. But let's take a quick ad break and hopefully in the ad break we can sort out some of our gremlins and we'll see you guys shortly after this. Dr. Anthea Jeffrey. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Terrible morning when it comes to these gremlins, but... Um, yeah, maybe whilst we're trying to still reach um, Anthea, like yeah. the, the point I was trying to make before the break and, you know, probably chopping in and out is, you know, you have a situation, and I, I made this point on uh, my show, the Big Daddy Liberty Show this week um, in a vlog, and I basically said that there is a real danger for, for societies across the world to be led down a very horrible path um, as politicians fail to sort of reconcile the fact that they need to sort of walk back some erroneous decisions they may have made. Um, fair enough, some of those decisions are based off of, you know, wildly off-the-mark predictions and models. Um, I can't blame uh, them for that. And a lot of it, of course, is based on, you know, what we didn't know, right? Mm. Uh, but the data is beginning to, to literally come in thick and fast. Um, there was a... a a, um, a graph I looked at yesterday that basically just showed that we're literally on the tail end, the dropping end of the number of deaths and um, mm. cases of coronavirus worldwide. Um, so this this isn't the doomsday pandemic that we were literally sort of cajoled um, by this scary initially into believing, and the data is beginning to show this. Now, the, the question, the central question that I think every politician around the world, especially ours here in South Africa, needs to answer is, are you willing to walk back some of the more draconian, um, you know, uh, 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 responses, if you will, to what was initially perceived to be the doomsday pandemic, if you will? Um, will your pride allow that? And I think at this point, I don't think we're seeing mm. an affirmative to that answer. I think we're seeing it doubling down, as you mentioned, mm. Um, or some of the even more irrational decisions. Yeah. I think one of the problems is that no one, everyone understands that this is a fluid situation from a point of information. And no one would in any way be less respectful of a government that says, guys, 
we now need to change tack. The, the, we've got new information. The old information was right up to a point. It's not right now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Ours, ours doesn't, and I think it's a combination of insecurity and the a desire to dominate. And I mean, just on the if, to give you an example on on the smoking thing, we haven't actually been given the reason for why um, Dr. Lamini Zuma wants us to not to smoke. Um, we uh, something's come out about to the effect that you know the, the smokers have compromised lungs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but there's also there's evidence coming out that smokers might, in fact, because of their nasty lungs, be to some extent protected from this disease. Yes, if they get it, it'll take them longer to come out of it. But there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that they are more prone or that they are uh, filling up the system. So that already suggests that either they they're not paying attention to the, 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 the information or that there's another agenda at play here. Absolutely. So it I, does appear we have Anthea on the line. Let's, let me just quickly double check. Um, Anthea, good morning. Do we have you on, on air with us? Good morning, Sikhle. I'm with ah. you. I'm not sure if you can hear me. Yes, yes we, we can. can hear you. Welcome, welcome to the IRR show. Dr. Anthea Jeffrey, of course, is from the Institute of Race Relations. Um, Anthea, we, we were sort of waxing lyrical away here around what has been the development so far. Um, towards, uh, and specifically governments rather, towards dealing with uh, the the COVID-19 scare. Um, and we're basically making, uh, just right now, the point that our greatest fear, I suppose, as as two liberals on a <laughs> radio show, is that, you know, there, there seems to be a doubling down of governments around the world, particularly also ours, of their approach, even though the data is coming in thick and fast now, suggesting that maybe this wasn't the end of the world doomsday pandemic that it was touted to be initially. Yes, indeed. I, I, I couldn't speak for governments around the world, but uh, certainly in the UK, the goalpost seems to have shifted. At one point, their lockdown was simply to give the health system time to prepare, and the National Health Service has achieved that. But now different criteria are being laid down in particular that um, it must be very clear that there's no danger of, of a second spike. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really may be very difficult to predict, very difficult to guard against. The indication then is that you can never get, it, get rid of lockdown if you're used, looking solely at that sort of issue. Mm-hmm. And here in South Africa, we've done something similar. The initial aim of the lockdown was also to help this, the, the health system prepare. But now we are very much relying only on health criteria um, and very narrowly defined as well. We're looking at whether the virus is spreading or not, and we're looking at how ready the health system is. But we're not looking, for example, at how many more deaths and illnesses might result Mm. from a prolonged lockdown with devastating impact on the poor, on the on the really thousands of people who are already experiencing great hunger, and their needs have to be taken into account as well, um, which is really why we've been saying the lockdown needs to be lifted now, and you must do, as, as the National Treasury has also now recommended, you must have a balance between the narrow COVID health factors, the wider health factors, the economic factors, and in particular, you should allow all businesses to operate and put the onus on them to do so safely. And there are, of course, the standard criteria that we all now are very familiar with that business would be able to apply. 
Anthea, Anthea, that brings up, uh, I just want to uh, follow on from that point, is that initially people were really responsive to the government and the, the, the measures it put in place. It seemed to be doing it in a concerted and intelligent way. And as things have changed, the government has just fallen apart, the logic has disappeared, etc. And one of the problems is you're getting a thing where by becoming sort of more draconian in level four than you were in, than they were in level five, um, there's a, the trust deficit is now widening between the government and, and the people. And surely if you want the people to do what's right, you have got to show more trust and respect for them. Absolutely. This is the ultimate nannying approach to assume that, that people can't be um, in any way trusted to act responsibly without the heavy hand of government forcing them to do so. And uh, that does make for a recipe for confrontation. Now that we, we know from recent research that's been done that there, 54% of South Africans are opposed to the continuation of the lockdown after the end of April. There was initially great support for it for a three-week period, and then even a modicum of support for the extension beyond that. But at this point, we have 54% of South Africans saying that they don't support the lockdown. And one can only imagine that many of those are also people who are enormously hurt by it because their jobs and livelihoods are disappearing. But ironically, many of them also get no benefit from the lockdown in the sense that if you're living in an overcrowded informal settlement or township area, it's simply impossible to maintain social distancing mm-hmm. and hygiene measures in any event. So what you're getting from the lockdown is nothing but harm. Um, I mean, this is this is shown almost tangentially. I think it was yesterday where you had huge queues of elderly people um, lining up for the assessor grants, and they they receive nothing. They have to they have to come back. I mean, people are literally going to die in those lines before anything else happens. But it's a sign of the, the what we are. We are, what we've always been critical of this government about is starting to really flood back and, and, uh, that however well, um, resourced the hospitals are, um, it's not going to matter, A, because people are going to die increasingly in other circumstances and also because people who have illnesses that could kill them that are not related to COVID, as you said, are not being allowed into hospitals. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we don't have figures here, unfortunately, because that's, Another thing the government is not really trusting us with. But in the UK, it's it's very interesting to see that the, the chief medical officer there has expressed a concern that there could be 150,000 deaths from non-COVID cause, causes in the year, as opposed to about 20,000 from COVID. And uh, obviously the 20,000 figure was a projection that's now been exceeded there up to 26 or 27,000. And his modeled figure of 150,000 is also an estimate. But Mm. it's a pointer to the kind of risk that we face, that people who have cancer or diabetes or hypertension or TB will not get the treatment that they need. And that will increase people's vulnerability to those diseases because we're depriving them of their income and their livelihoods. Uh, what's really scary, my, my sister gave me an example in the States where she lives of a fairly young woman being diagnosed with breast cancer, but she cannot get a mastectomy. Now, I mean, there's somebody who is, a, is certainly at an age where the, 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 the chance of, of, of reasonable recovery is good. 
and yet mm-hmm. if she doesn't have the mastectomy, the, the cancer is likely to grow and spread. And yes. this this surely speaks very very badly of how societies are ha- some societies are handling this. I think it shows an almost an hysteria around the COVID mm. issue. I think obviously the the images that have been beamed around the world are enormously scary. Governments do have a great fear of the massive death tolls that have been predicted in some modelled studies. But we do now have increasing evidence to show that. Um, the, the number of people who've been infected without having any symptoms or having only minor symptoms is considerable. Mm-hmm. And so the overall death toll is coming down a great deal. If you look only at the people who are severely ill in hospital and who die, and you compare that sort of number of, of infected people with the death rate, you get a scary figure. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the great number of people in the wider society who in many instances have had COVID without knowing it, and then you start comparing the death rate to that much wider number of people, then you come down to something that's well below 1%, that's 0.4 or 0.5%, and that's still higher than flu, but it it isn't the kind of enormously scary disease Mm. that people were so afraid of at the beginning. We need to take account of the additional information that's coming out and adjust accordingly, not be determined to maintain the original stance as if, as if there was no further information to take into Um You raised the issue in your report um, about the, the subjective applica- applica- criteria being subjective and being unequally applied. And we talk about what is, frankly, to me, the bizarre example of not allowing online shopping so that you protect spaza shops from unfair competition. I mean, that speaks to – I don't know what that speaks to us. It certainly speaks to somebody – a Minister of Trade and Industry who doesn't understand business, surely. I think it also speaks to a Minister of Trade and Industry who, who is a, a very committed member of the SACP and who is looking to promote township economies. Mm-hmm. NC has always had a hostility to, to bigger business. Um, it wants township economies to be where the economy primarily is. And if you allowed online shopping, then obviously the spouses can't do that in the same way. So if your framework is we want township business and we don't particularly like other business, then perhaps it makes sense. But it has absolutely nothing to do with the fight against COVID mm. and what needs to be done to get the to strengthen the economy as much as possible so that incomes and jobs are protected and that we don't have many more people dying of poverty and the diseases associated therewith. And perhaps that's, I just want to chime in because that's where my concern lies. You know, it, the deaths that result from poverty are slow, often out of the public eye, and really they're easier to ignore from a policy perspective if you were so committed, for instance, to the hysteria that we now see around the COVID deaths. Um, but I, I just want to pick your brain on this one, Anthea. Um, is there, again, I'm asking you to sort of um, postulate it a bit, but um, is there a reason for government not releasing publicly the models that they've based their work on, um, including, of course, some of the impl- economic implications of the lockdown? Do, do you think there is a reason for that? No, I absolutely don't think so. This, this um, lockdown has such huge ramifications for the country and all its people that the government needs to be providing us with the information that it is using to guide its decisions. And um, those those models need to be interrogated, as they have been in many other countries. 
uh, what we really need probably is, is some sort of um, echo of, of what's been done in Sweden, where the government has trusted its people to behave responsibly. And they have seen that virus tests have peaked and have come down, and they already have a reproduction rate that's well below one without ever having barked embarked on a lockdown. And, and the well below one is important because it means that um, one person is, is infecting fewer than one other people and the virus will therefore come to a natural end. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, a, an approach that has been based on treating the citizens of Sweden as responsible adults who can make responsible decisions if they're given the guidelines as to what is needed to help protect, prevent the spread of the virus. And that's the sort of approach that would be so much more helpful in South Africa, where we simply can't afford the kind of drastic, dramatic lockdown that the government seems to envisage as going on for maybe another six to eight months, even though the Treasury document, which I referred, has not been very clear that if we have a very long lockdown, the upshot will be a 16%, that the GDP will contract by 16%. And that we'll have job losses of about 7 million people. And that's an extraordinary scenario. And that the government should, is, is still not willing to go with what the Treasury has recommended. Don't try and decide which sectors can operate and which can't because bureaucrats don't know nearly enough about it. Rather have a general principle that every business can operate, but they must do all that they can to operate safely. Maintaining social distancing, hygiene, the things that we, we're all increasingly informed about. Um, I know this may sound like a sort of conspiracy theory, but Anthea, do you think that this sort of non, non-information patronizing approach is part of a, let's say, a larger plan to move along, to move the democratic revolution along towards the socialist utopia that ANC always, is always talking about? Or is it just clumsiness? I think it's, it's, I'm sure it's always partially clumsiness and a, a desire to keep information close to the chest. But I do think that there's an ideological dimension behind this as well. And um, that the ANC's, the, the fact that private industry and the private sector is going to be so badly hurt as not a bad thing because they've always wanted the state pretty much to be uh, directing business or ideally taking ownership and control over the economy. And maybe there's a belief that, that as one minister once said, we can pick up the rand once it's fallen. There may also be an ideological belief within the ANC-SACP alliance that the state can pick up the economy once it's fallen and the private sector is really no longer <laughs> able to fight. It's, it's promised to pick up an airline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's take a quick break. After the break, I want us to unpack that issue a little bit more because I think it speaks to and it explains for a lot of people who don't see it this way why we're seeing some of the doubling down from our politicians. So a quick outbreak, and then we'll be right back with our conversation with Dr. Anthony Jeffrey. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to the IRR show as we uh, move towards the last 10 minutes with our guest, Dr. Anthony Jeffrey from the Institute of Race Relations. We're looking at the, the lockdown basically versus what the data is now beginning to really quite clearly demonstrate around COVID, not only in South Africa, but also around the world. Uh, and there, before the break, we, we, we basically began to unpack the, um, 
uh, perhaps let me go to Shakespeare as I always do, uh, the appearances versus the reality. And the appearance, of course, is at the face level, you know, a president and his command council, um, you know, hands on, uh, dealing with this, um, either a through the secure crat, uh, methodology, which is much loathed by, uh, South Africans, and also on the other side by a health minister who's actually garnered a lot of, um, respect, you know, whether one agrees or disagrees with his approach, but he's garnered a lot of respect for his hands-onness. Um, at this crisis. That's the appearance, of course, but the reality is, and as the data is beginning to demonstrate, we, we're almost doubling down on decisions which um, the hysteria just doesn't, or rather the reality doesn't match the hysteria. And before the break, you were making the points about um, the perhaps ideology also is driving this uh, impetus or what we're seeing by the state. Can you just quickly unpack what the National Democratic Revolution actually is for those listeners who aren't aware of it? Sure. The National Democratic Revolution is as a strategy that was devised by the Soviet Union in the 1950s. And the aim was that as colonies became independent with market-based economies, they would gradually shift through national democratic revolutions to socialist economies. And astonishingly, though, the authors of the NDR in the former Soviet Union have long since rejected the idea as, as, as a folly. In the ANC and the SACP alliance, the commitment to the national democratic revolutions is very strong. Since 1994, the ANC has regularly recommitted itself to the National Democratic Revolution at each of its five yearly policy national conferences. It's, it absolutely is the lodestar of the ANC. And the aim is to move from capitalism through socialism to communism in a nutshell. And I think there's a recognition that if the capitalist economy was really thriving, if we had growth at South Africa's potential rate, which certainly in the past was 5 or 6% before we had the ESCOM debacle, and if you had unemployment down below 10%, at 6 7% and so on, if we were able to absorb the new entrance to the economy into paid employment, there really wouldn't be much dissatisfaction for the NCSACP alliance to use in order to drive their revenue forward. So part of the aim has always been to weaken and the capitalist economy so that in time the demand for a socialist alternative seems perhaps more sensible than it might otherwise do. Uh, we see, for example, with, with land reform, there was a great deal of support for land reform because of the injustices of the past. But it's been so incredibly badly handled that it, it's become really a byword for inefficiency and corruption. But now at a point when many people are desperately poor, when the government says we'll have expropriation of land without compensation and this will become a mechanism for, for people to grow their own food and have more growth in the economy, there's a fear that people are desperate enough for that message to resonate in a way that it wouldn't have in the past, um, that they would reach out even to having one hectare of ground to try and farm, if that's better than having nothing. So there's a, a, a kind of, I fear, some sort of parallel with our response to the COVID pandemic. Mm. That as we cripple an increasingly weakened economy and many more people are out of work, then what the government says about capitalism doesn't work, we can see how high unemployment is, 
the state must take control instead. This will be a message that resonates much more. And um, the fact that we didn't need to have such a very strict lockdown for such a long time in order to counter COVID is a message that's not going to be communicated adequately to people. So one, I think, must be aware of the ideological objectives of the ANC SACP. One must question the decisions that they're making on how to counter COVID against that background and also against the background of all the information that's emerging that death tolls are not so high that herd immunity could perhaps be reached even at 10 up to 20% of the population being infected, and say, hang on, we don't need to do it the way that the, that the government has been planning so far. It really is possible to have a major shift onto a different path without giving up on the fight against COVID. And the, the National Treasury has shown the way. So many other organizations, the Institute and others, have been saying we need to lift the lockdown in a responsible and uh, effective way. The National Treasury agrees, and it warns that if we don't, we could have 7 million jobs lost. This is well, to have a major rethink of the pandemic approach and to recognize the ideological underpinnings that may be swaying decisions far too much. Well, it, one gets suspicious because a lot of countries that who, whose, whose model essentially we, we followed um, are releasing their lockdowns, even countries that have suffered um, fairly considerably from uh, with their death tolls, such as uh, Italy and Spain, they are releasing the, the severity of their lockdowns. And, and we're going to, we're in level four, which in a way is more onerous than level five. And as somebody pointed out, as long as we're on a level, we're still in a lockdown. So as you say, this could go on for, for months if they, if they don't, start really responding to the information that's coming out about the the virus. Indeed. So long as their tests are solely, is the virus still spreading? And obviously, I mean, it's likely to spread more, I'm afraid, as we go into the winter months. It seems to prefer colder pe- periods. Um, and we're also doing much more testing. So naturally, the more testing we do, the more incidences of the virus we're, we're likely to pick up. And that really seems to be their primary consideration, though the preparedness of the health system is, is a factor as well. Mm. But these criteria are far too limited for all the reasons mm. we've been talking about. They ignore the likelihood of, of increasing deaths from poverty. They ignore the massive economic damage that will take years and years and years to, to repair if recovery is ever possible for very many businesses. And mm. there's no point absolutely um, burying the economy and the belief that we can thereby uh, preserve the, the welfare and, and um, the, the well-being of some <coughs> They may think at the end of the day that we've been talking about that a state-controlled economy will do much better, but that's a dubious assertion in any country against the background of planned economies that have failed across the world, and particularly in this country where we know that our government has failed spectacularly at, at, at things like ESCOM which ought to be quite simple. It has a monopoly. Um, it, there's nobody else virtually who can provide electricity, and yet we don't increasingly don't have electricity to sell. So rely on the government too much, and really we will find South Africans suffering more and more from all the diseases of poverty, from the hunger and the desperation that is going to arise as their jobs and their livelihoods evaporate.
Um, I saw just before we came on air a comment by the Minister of Tourism, uh, uh, Kubai um, that we have to build an incredibly strong tourism industry. We, we des- desperately, you know, have to get going and really grow it. She being the same minister who vehemently, uh, is vehemently applying the BEE criteria that govern the industry. Um, surely you, this is a contradiction. Absolutely, because if, if you're trying to grow the industry, then you want ever- enterprises of every hue. And the relief that has been made available should, of course, in principle, go to all enterprises, irrespective of race. It's absolutely unconscionable in the face of this kind of crisis to say that we will reserve the, the relief for people of a certain color rather than another. This is supposed to be a democracy that's committed to non-racialism. It's a founding value of our constitution. We've been working against it for decades, but this is a particularly really appalling instance of where to apply a race-based policy. And of course it will make it much harder to grow the industry if the enterprises that happen to be owned by white people go to the wall with all their, their staff as well, and then somehow have to be resuscitated at some point in the future. And yeah, we could have a conversation with you for hours and hours and hours and end, but um, we must end it here. Let me say very, a great, very, oh, excuse me, a thank you to you uh, for joining us. And uh, thank you, dear listener, for listening to this, because I think it, it begins to unpack serious issues around, you know, the appearance, as I mentioned, versus the reality. We're going to take a quick break. And after that, we'll wrap up the show and look at the news week. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, I think the next week is going to be much more of the same, and it's going to get nastier, uglier, and sillier. Uh, we mm. haven't even begun to delve into the the, uh, the rise the, the rise from the ashes of SAA as agreed as agreed between Pravin Gordon and the union. Um, it, <laughs> just it's 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 almost cloud it, well. It's cloud cuckoo land stuff. But yeah. I think that all those things, and particularly with people now going to court, the DA going for, for information about the necessity and the rationale behind the curfew, which you didn't even uh, mention, the cigarette, the uh, tobacco industry is going to court about the ban on, ba- on tobacco. And I suspect it's going to snowball from there. Uh, the, the, what's really terrifying is that we should even have to do this. No, I agree. And um, I think it is very necessary um, to to challenge. And I keep making this point on, on, online. We are a, we're, we're a democracy. We're citizens of a democracy. We're not being led or ruled by, you know, emperors and and a, 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 a um, aristocrats, sort of, um, what do you call it? Um, you know, we're not being led by aristocrats. And citizens of a democracy have every right and a duty, really, to challenge the decisions being made by people that we vote into power. So, again, I think that's going to be the the, the top news-making mm. uh, items, um, including, of course, what Anthea was mentioning, which is the doubling down. And I think there, there is an element, as my last guest, I think there is an element within the ANC uh, political elite who recognize that, you know, the evidence for hard lockdowns is breaking apart. And on that basis, so you're now hearing them be very bold in pushing forward as quickly as they possibly can, um, some of the more sort of overtly, um, you know, 
National Democratic Revolution-esque mm. ideas. I mean, David Masondo, the Deputy Minister of um, Finance, basically suggested that we should just print money um, mm. that is required. Um, I mean, these are classic socialist in, in, imperatives. Um, and disastrous ones at that. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think this, the average citizen needs to wake up to the fact that yes, absolutely, COVID is very serious, um, and it has, you know, a, a death rate behind it. However, the hysteria doesn't help if you then don't focus on the fact that you could be facing a situation of politicians using this moment to put in place things that you ordinarily would disagree with. So I think that's the point I'm making. I think you could hear it quite lucidly from Anthea. Um, and again, Looking forward to the Newsweek, it will be the battle of ration and people asking for rational decision-making versus a political elite who say, no, 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 it should be our decision-making, period, um, that, that holds sway, regardless of whether it is rational or not. Um, Sikhla, I think we can put it like this. We, we are ruled by emperors, and they have no clothes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, literally. Um, this report, the court actually will point that out and people will actually see. Guys, we must wrap up the show. Remember, you can find uh, all the writing, analysis and opinion uh, that you hear on this show and um, uh, from our guests in most cases on The Daily Friend. The Daily Friend is our website. Go to www.dailyfriend.co.za. But you'll find Dr. Anthony Jeffrey's writings on there too. Um, and of course, you... Uh, can look forward to us being on your airways again next week, Tuesday. Um, Sarah, any last word from you? Um, yes, hopefully um, our internet will will still be here next Tuesday. Oh, my goodness. I agree. <laughs> um, it's been such a horrid morning just with the gremlins in the system. We must apologize for that. Um, but I think it will improve. Uh, from me, Bedaliti, it's a thank you and goodbye. Happy Tuesday. And Sarah? Last no. word? No, I, I, I'm scared to say anything at <laughs> this stage, but uh, <laughs> it'll be very interesting to see how this week pans out. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. Guys, that's been the IRR show. We'll see you guys next week, Tuesday.